welcome to Creatives Do Money. Each week, we explore the topics of everyday money management, solo small business ownership, and how we're fueling our creative futures. I'm your host, Eowyn Levine, money coach, personal finance nerd, longtime self-employed massage therapist, and watermelon enthusiast. And I'm on a mission to help you build the lasting financial stability that frees you up to do your creative work without hustling anxiously for the next dollar. Your time is a finite resource, one that you never get back once used up or given away. So the metaphysical side of me wants to say time is a made up human construct and has no meaning, but also time has such meaning in our day-to-day lives. And how you choose to spend your time has huge implications for your business and your life as a whole. So my guest today, without any judgment or shoulds, she takes us into the arena of time tracking and becoming intentional around spending our time on and in our business and then by extension in our lives as a whole. So touching on money initially, if I had to choose just one principle or suggestion or tip of how to get better with your money, it would be to bring attention to what's actually happening in your finances. That's the overall concept, pay attention. And from there, so much changes. And the same is true with time. And so personally speaking, who boy, do I need this prompt around paying attention to how I use my time, really with the goal of getting better with it. So I'm extra glad to share my guest today with you and to be talking about this topic. Jennifer Duan Foltz is the founder of Chief Executive Auntie, or Auntie, as you say around here, a blog and a podcast where she helps Asian American and other BIPOC freelancers and creatives earn more money. She believes in leveraging our identity and struggles as an asset, not a hindrance. She also consults as part of the Embrace Change team, and she teaches other business owners how to create transformational learning experiences. Okay, let's get into talking about time tracking and more with Jennifer. Jennifer, thank you so much for being here. I'm so looking forward to getting into the numbers with you. Thank you so much. Take us to a moment in your life when your relationship with business, finances, or personal finances, money in general, changed. So... To understand the story, you'll have to understand that I this is not my first business. My first business, I started approximately 2011, and it was a photography business, and it was never profitable. <laughs> there came a point where I realized, where I actually did sit down and like sort of peek at my numbers, and I looked at it, and I was like, oh, I'm paying people to let me take their picture <laughs> because my expenses were well above my income, but I was so uncomfortable asking people for money, which is not really how I think about it now. But at the time it was, I was like, oh my gosh, who am I? I don't have a degree in photography. I just bought this camera to impress a boy and the boy is gone now. (laughs) You You know, who am I to ask for money for this service? And then fast forward to 2017, I had become a parent. I had left my career in teaching and I was getting ready to start a new business, you know, in writing content and sort of just that freelance world. And 
as I was planning uh, kind of starting that, I realized, oh, if I want to work for three hours, I have to send my child to daycare for three hours. I have to pay money for three hours. <laughs> and it was just realizing that one, every hour I spent on work was out was an hour that I spent, could not spend on something else. And two, that my time was not just mine anymore. And so if I was going to spend that time working, I couldn't give my time away because I was taking that time from my family. I was paying money <laughs> to have that time to work. And so I had to make it worthwhile um, and not just financially, like, you know, it if the work is fulfilling, like that is also, and making an impact, that's also important. But, you know, the money equation didn't really click until I was like, oh, I'm paying someone $10 an hour to watch my kids so I can work. I can't charge $12 an hour <laughs> because then my net will only be $2 an hour and that's not going to work. So that was, and that shift that shifted everything. And I'm glad I did not start this second business until I had become a parent because it really forced my priorities into a place that made a lot more sense yeah. than they had been previously. <laughs> That's so interesting. And I, it's like suddenly you, on behalf of your family and your child, you valued yourself and your time more and your input. Yeah, yeah, which is funny because you know, when you're a parent, a lot of your time is very rarely your own, but because you're doing this for your family to, you know, financial support for me, for me, it was having a lot of flexibility in our schedule. Um, it was like, okay, this is all, there's a purpose for this <laughs> not just, not just some hazy We I think I work harder for things for other people than I work hard than I work for the things I want for myself. Yeah. Um, I'm working on shifting that balance a little bit, but that's where we are. I feel like that's one of those lifetime undoing tasks that we get. Like we just absorb all the things as we grow up. And that's one of the ones that we have to undo. That for sure. Showing up for ourselves is just as important. Yeah, that's a biggie. So having realized that there was a minimum amount you were going to need to charge for your hourly time with your new, okay, so freelance writing. I know you've expanded beyond that, but that's where you started. Yeah, I started out kind of wanting to Actually, my business started as a blog for myself, and I was blogging through my early parenting journey and sharing my posts on social media. And then some of my friends were like, hey, can you write stuff for my business? And I'm like, sure, I can write stuff for your business. Absolutely. Let me just figure out how to do that real quick. <laughs> quick Google. Yes, exactly. Um, and so, I, yeah, I started out kind of in the content writing space. I have, I've been building websites since 2001 on web 1.0 for for the very young people out there that it, it, it was a it was a fun time let me tell you <laughs> <laughs> so building websites I added that to my to my sort of toolkit of skills that I had and then now I've really gotten into sort of the business education space and also creating online courses for other service providers and coaches to take their knowledge and scale the impact that they can have. Yeah. Back to the hourly, I distracted myself and us from my original question, which was about the hourly rate. So you knew what your bare minimum was. You knew what 
the minimum amount was. So maybe tell us what that minimum amount was and then take us through your pricing process from that initial point. I was very, I'm going to pat myself on the back past self uh, for investing in a bit of business coaching when I first got started. And my business coach walked me through a new mindset about money because I hadn't really thought about expenses before, you know, again, back with my photography business, I was like, oh, I'm actually paying money to fund this business. And my business coach kind of walked me through, okay, how much do you want to make? How many hours do you want to work? Okay, that is your minimum hourly rate. Like if, if you want to make this much money in this much time, it's actually, it's, it's just math. It's, and I think money used to be very emotional for me. It was tied up into self-esteem or lack thereof really. (laughs) And seeing it laid out in numbers, I was like, oh, so I have to be making like $40 an hour minimum for this to all work out because I'm paying this much for childcare. And then also in my head, I was like, well, I could go back to full-time teaching and make this much. Um, Actually, although the hourly rate for teachers is really really not that good either if you factor in all the time you spend Mm. lesson planning and grading and all of those things. But you know, but I had that kind of like standard there. I was like, okay, well, I need to be above that because I don't get insurance from this job. I don't get any other benefits from this job. I don't get paid time off. This is all stuff I figured out along the way, but at least at the time I had sort of this benchmark, okay, I got to make at least $40 an hour because five or six or $7 per hour of that goes towards daycare and I could be doing something else, making $25 an hour. So I need to at least be above that. And it was very wooly at first. (laughs) And over the years, I figured out, okay, what are my actual expenses? What are my income goals? And it still always boiled down to how much money do I want to make in how much time and figuring it out from there. Yeah. Although I... I completely understand that, especially when it's forcing us to bring up our our prices to a reasonable amount. But if I think back to when I first priced my massage services, it was a combination of a few different things, some of which is looking around and seeing what was normal to charge for the thing I was doing. So how has that aspect factored into pricing as you've gone through your business experience? I definitely looked at that when I first started. I said, like, you know, what are what are other people charging for articles? What are people paying for articles? I started out, as many freelancers do, on a site called Upwork, and <laughs> that was an exercise in depressing myself. <laughs> Not least because they take twenty percent of everything right, you they make. They take twenty percent of everything, and then it's so like, much. here, I will. Can you build me a website for five hundred dollars? And it's like, oh, actually. off of that is like $400. And it's like, no, (laughs) Um, I, you know, and I did kind of look around at first, but I rather quickly figured out that, especially on a site like Upwork, you know, I don't want to work 23 hours a day. I, I just, I can't, I can't do that. I don't want to do that, you know, for better or for worse. A lot of the freelancers on Upwork are from, parts of the world where the standard of living is lower. I've got a whole rant about that that I won't go into. Doesn't mean we they should be totally paid. go into it. I yeah, think it doesn't that's mean so they should well. be paid less, but a lot, but but for that many reasons they are. Yeah. But it's like I can't 
I cannot, I cannot make this work on one cent a word. Like that's not, and I don't, I don't use, I didn't use per word rates anyway, but you know, I, I did look around me and then I just realized like my business is mine. My business is for me. It's not for any of these other people. And then another thing I kind of realized along the way was that there truly are clients at every price point. It's just a matter of finding them and speaking to them. And, and so I don't have to, I don't have to price myself based on what everybody else is charging. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, the, the realization for this was when I did a little bit of uh, just virtual assistant work for a family photographer and it, and I had access to her financials because I was inputting stuff into her online store. And it, and I realized, oh, this person charges more for a one hour family photo session than we paid for our entire wedding photography package, which was not a cheap package either. But it just, and I realized, oh, my, prices are just made up. Yeah. <laughs> there is no arbitrary, like, this is worth $5. This is worth $10. It's, it's whatever anybody will pay for it. And so mm-hmm. that that moment kind of released me from like, okay, I don't have to go by anybody else's standards. And I think I think that's harder in certain industries than others. But and you know, in my experience in the work that I do, I've been able as every time I've raised my prices, I have never not been able to find a client to meet me there. So Yeah. Do you find that you now help other business owners who are newer in the process to work on pricing? And if yes, I'm curious, what are some of the things that regularly come up around that? I think a lot of people just don't even think through their pricing. They just, they they look around, Mm. they grab a number. A lot of times they'll go 10% under that because they think that's the only value proposition that they have. But yeah you're not Walmart, you're not Dollar Tree, like that's not your value proposition. You have very specialized skills. And even if you're just starting out, you have a unique approach and perspective to the work that you do. And like cheapest on the block is not how you want to be selling that. <laughs> Going back to my photography business, I had one client who was a who was a friend, uh, you know, through my church at the time, and I did fam- I did pictures for his family, and he kept running around saying, "Oh, Jennifer is so affordable," and I'm like, "That's, that's, not, that's really not what, what I, I want to be known, known for." for. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly, and I was like, "Uh, I think I need to market myself a little differently." <laughs> Um, but that's but that happens, I think, when when you are too when you're not charging enough, you become known as the cheap one, which yeah. you know, what do you expect to taste better? A one dollar burger or a twenty dollar burger? And is that always accurate? No, but you know, <laughs> that's money is a shorthand for yeah. for value and for quality. And so if you charge $10 an hour for something that other people charge $75 an hour, you know, yes, you are going to get clients, but they're going to get clients who don't care about quality, who don't care about customer service and are probably honestly going to be a pain in the ass to work with. Yeah. (laughs) That's another thing. As, as I've raised my prices, my client quality has actually gone up significantly. And I was really scared at first that if I charged more, you know, they'd be fussing at me all the time. And, but 
when I charge more, I get clients who value their own time enough to let me do what I'm good at. When I charge nickel and dime prices, I get clients who didn't really want to spend the money in the first place. And so they're just always pecking at me, which is kind of counterintuitive, but that has been my experience. And every other service provider that I've talked to and am friends with like that has been their experience as well. I know that time tracking is something that you've put a lot of attention and work into and that you actually help people with. Did that come out of this question of pricing? I mean, you touched on it initially when you talked about this sort of new valuing of your time when you became a mother, but I'd love you to talk a bit about time tracking and how that relates to the pricing work that you take your clients through. I think I was motivated to start tracking my time much more carefully during quarantine, actually, because we mm. we lost our childcare uh, source. And so my spouse and I were going to, we split the day basically. And, and then I realized, okay, instead, now, instead of six hours, I have two and a half hours. What, what can I actually get done in that time? And I didn't know because I, I would look back at previous projects and I would think, oh boy, I have no idea how long that took me. So I don't know yeah. if I can book this. I don't know if I can book this project. I don't know if I have time for it. And also going back to price those other projects, like I I was just kind of guesstimating like, okay, I think this is going to take me 15 hours. And then I've got, you know, I've got my sort of internal hourly rate. And so I multiply it by 15, but I don't actually know how quickly I can write a sales page or build a website or whatever it is. Um, and it was that realization that, oh, I don't, I don't know how long things take me. So I have no idea how to set my project prices. Cause I don't charge by, I don't charge an hourly rate. I set a flat rate at the beginning of the project um, for a certain defined scope of work. But I was kind of just pulling those numbers out of a hat. Yeah. And so I wanted to know how much time different projects were taking me so that I could schedule them into my workflow better. I could price them better. And then again, this was something that came up during quarantine. I didn't have as much time to work with anymore. So I needed to know where all of it was going. And, and there were times, you know, when our, when our preschool was closed, when I did not track my time, because it was just like five minutes here, 10 minutes here, 20 minutes. It just, it just got to be a little bit too depressing, but I kind of wish I had, because again, that's just, that's data that I don't have about, you know, this project that I was working on for six months, but how much of that six months was I actually, was I actually working on it? I don't know. So um, I think starting around like August of last year, which was when our, thank God our preschool reopened, that I kind of sort of went quote unquote back to work and I started tracking my time much more granularly than I had previously, mm -hmm. including my so-called my non-billable time so the time I spend on my marketing my bookkeeping answering email that was time I had not been tracking and I was inspired by one of my freelance friends who does turn a timer on whenever she's brainstorming a new product or a new service or doing her bookkeeping because I had previously only really cared like oh how much time am I spending on a project but then I realized okay 
the time that I'm updating my website or writing an email newsletter or whatever, that's time that I can't spend on something else. That's time that I can't spend making money. And so when I finally tracked that, I was like, oh, I'm I'm definitely at like 50-50 here. <laughs> sometimes 40-60, sometimes 30-70 in terms of billable versus non-billable. And that's when it occurred to me that I was like, oh, the time I spend on billable work has to pay for the time I spend on non-billable work. And so I kind of crunched the numbers there and I was like, oh, my hourly rate's like $17. Yes. <laughs> I thought it was like 40, but it's not because mm. I, you know, if I actually include all the time that I spend in or on my business, which is time that I'm not available to go do other things, then, oh, then that's not, I'm not making as much money as I thought I was. Yeah. It's something I have vaguely contemplated and thought about, and I've done thumbnail sketch time tracking for certain things. This podcast, for example, like just getting a rough idea of what I put into this podcast helped me decide to go from weekly episodes to every other week. Cause I was mm -hmm. like, this is just not sustainable if I'm doing it myself, but I've never really done it in the detailed level that you're describing, but it, it makes so much sense. And as we talk about it, I'm like, yeah, this is something we all have to do. And especially solo small business owners and mm -hmm. freelancers. And the other thing that occurs to me is, well, I'll frame it as a question. Have you found that time tracking promotes more monotasking for yourself and yes. less multitasking? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because I know if I have a timer going, I am not going to squirrel off onto Twitter. Now, like I don't turn my timer off when I go to the bathroom, like that's sure. whatever. But I know, you know, Yes, it absolutely promotes monotasking. And I used to use an app called Toggle and they had like, they had a Pomodoro setting on it automatically. So it would like, you, it would go, it would run for 25 minutes and then a little, you know, widget thing would pop up and say, hey, do you want to take a break? So I think, I know a lot of time tracking apps will do that. And that's really helpful. I also find that for me, when I, when I know the timer's running, I'm less likely to scroll off. And I also kind of think like, you know, I just have to make it, another 20 minutes, 15 minutes, 10 minutes. Um, and I, I don't know, the countdown thing really works for me. I think some people like to count up. I think I like to count down. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, I can do anything for 10 more minutes. I can do anything for five more minutes. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, it, and then a lot of times it becomes, oh, actually, you know, Hey, let me just finish this up that I'm doing. And then that's another five minutes of very focused work time versus, you know, and again, when I'm, when I'm the tracking provides accountability for me, even and now, especially when I when I share my time tracking reports, but it kind of becomes a contest with myself, like, ooh, how quickly can I write this? And you know, how quickly can I write this thing? Or now it's now I've now I'm working really hard on like how how can I get my ratio of billable to non-billable time to where I want it to be? It's just data for decision making, I have found. I think it's very easy to make decisions based on fear and based on just kind of like a gut feeling about things. But the numbers, the numbers don't lie. I'll look as if they're like, oh, cool. I spent 75% of my time on stuff that doesn't make me any money. That's cool. <laughs> I should do something about that. It also helped me figure out what was worth outsourcing. Because again, I was like, I'm spending all this time kind of doing my own social and all this stuff. And 
I could pay somebody $35 an hour to do that while I go get a client and make $175 an hour for that. And like, that's, that's a no, that's a no brainer investment. But if I didn't, when I didn't have the information about how much time I was spending on some of my own sort of marketing and operation stuff, I had no idea. And it just seemed like, I'll just do it myself and quote unquote, save money. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, it kind of occurred to me like, well, that's not really saving me money. I'm, there's an opportunity cost to doing all of that myself. I don't have the time to go and get a new project. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder also if you've noticed seasons in your time tracker tracking. I'm thinking, for example, about let's say working on one's website where that's non-income producing work initially, but over time that turns into a marketing system that works for you if the SEO is done right. So with regard to just putting work into the website, you might find that you're tracking, you know, five or six hours a week over the course of a month. And then you're no longer doing that quote unquote unpaid work, but then it in the future leads to income. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. I'm curious if you see waves in your time tracking. Not particularly noticeably. What I have done is sort of themed my days. And so I try to cluster my unpaid day, you know, my unpaid work on two days a week. And that also puts guardrails on for me so that I don't end up frying an entire week fussing with my website. I said, like, I have this much time for marketing and business development and education. And like, I have this much time set aside for it. And I can, I can just get done what needs to be done in that time. And there are seasons where I'm like, okay, I am gearing up towards launching a new service, then there is going to be more of that sort of unpaid time. And then that will pay off. Like when I actually launch the thing out the window, Hmm. okay, now it's out in the marketplace and people can actually pay me for it. Yeah. But then I know like, Hey, I spent this much time developing the service. It's, it's almost like an advance. Like I got to kind of pay myself back for that time, Mm -hmm. hopefully, when I launch or, you know, when I start a, start a new service and I work that into my pricing as well, making sure that the time I spent figuring out what the service is going to look like, doing the customer research, like making sure that that time is recouped in the pricing of the service or the product itself. Mm-hmm. I see this sometimes with people who make online courses or workbooks and they they plow 30 hours into that product and they're like, I'm going to sell it for 19. And I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which works if you have a large enough audience, you know, there's volume and then there's margin. And if you have high volume, you can have a lower margin on it. But if you have low volume and you have low margin, then you're just not going to make a whole lot of money. Um, So, you know, and it's, it's fine to have those lower price offers. You just have to you know, you just have to make sure you have the audience number or the reach to support it. And that can be organic, that can be paid traffic, either way, it doesn't matter. But if you price something low, and you only try to sell five of them, then yeah, what's the point? I mean, I think ultimately, the lesson is you have to know your numbers. (laughs) Like all of this just comes down to just self awareness and just taking a look at things. Because when you're scrambling to make things work, it can be really easy to just be like, okay, I have enough money in the bank account right now to pay my bills. And that becomes the barometer of functionality. And so I really love how you're detailing just taking it to the next level of being really aware of every aspect of what's going on in your business and how that impacts your finances. 
Yeah. And I think, and time and money are so closely intertwined, especially for me, because I can't get more time. I can, mm -hmm. you know, I can always raise my prices and get more money, but I have very hard limits on the amount of time that I have available and that I want to spend mm. working. You know, I have a young child. This is, you know, this is still kind of a more energy intensive phase of, of parenting. And so time is, time is more important to me, I think, mm. than money. And I'm, you know, I'm fortunate that my partner is employed and provides benefits for us and all of those things. But I think, I think it was, a, it was a major realization for me that I'd rather save time than get more money. And to, and, and, you know, once you get to a certain point, you can sort of buy time with money, but we're not there yet, you know, mm -hmm. and especially with, you know, pandemic and things like that, it's harder to buy yeah. assistance and buy efficiency and buy time, you know, so we're not having people babysit, we're not having people come clean our house. So all of that, that, that time comes out of my bucket. So I have to make the most of, of the time there. And, mm. you know, when I talk to people about pricing and I ask like, Hey, how would your life be different if you, if your prices were higher? And the number one thing I hear people say is I would work less. Like, yes, mm. yes, that's it. That's exactly what it is. Your pricing and your time are so interwoven because your time is the only Time is the only thing you can never get more of. You can get yeah. more money, you can get more resources, but you never get back time that you have spent. And so yeah. learning to manage time and manage money have kind of been like a parallel journey for me. I'm curious if in addition to finding that you monotask more skillfully, you're also finding that you seek out and bring in more self-care elements that help you use your time most effectively and I have something in particular in mind when I ask that so sometimes I'll find that I have just gone around in circles about something I'm struggling with I struggle a lot I'm, I know I'm not alone here but with writing and having lots of ideas but actually crystallizing them down into something that's useful and concise and then you know telling an engaging story about it like that whole process of presenting something that is palatable and useful and engaging for those I am creating for. And I can have gone around in circles for a couple hours and really not made much progress, but just kind of like, you know, move the sand around instead of making a sandcastle. If I go for a 15 minute walk without listening to anything, without looking at my phone with nothing, like just some fresh air and moving my body in that way, I come back indoors, I will have an insight that I didn't have over the course of wrestling with it over the course of two hours. So I'm curious how, I guess this is really a, a question about how you resource yourself to make the most of your time. Yeah, the, the break time is definitely, definitely helpful just to kind of get some clarity. And yeah, I, 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 I'm getting better, I think, at realizing, okay, I'm just kind of beating my head against the wall at this point, time to go yeah. do something. <laughs> time to go do something else that's really crucial you're right yeah to underscore that that some of it is the awareness to just be like okay this isn't working <laughs> there's definitely a point of diminishing returns of yeah. you know if I just bash my head against this it will work and it never does I yeah my my time tracking app also does the kind of like hey you've worked for 30 minutes is it time for a break and I do I do use that at least just as, just, again, just kind of as a shortcut, you know, because mm -hmm. if it were up to me, 
I'd probably forget to eat lunch. I'd forget to take breaks, you know, depending on what I'm doing. And just having that built in there, like reminder, like, hey, you know, do you do you need to take a break here? And sometimes I'll be like, oh, I'm in the middle of finishing this thing. And then once it just prompts me to think, where is a good stopping point? Because with business, like, it's never done. You're never, yeah. ever done. You never go to bed and think, ah, oh, my to-do list is totally, <laughs> is totally checked off. Like there's always more, there's always more to be done, which is actually something I kind of picked up when I was teaching just the realization, like until that last day of school, you're never done. And mm. so just being comfortable with putting something off until tomorrow. <laughs> yeah especially, you know, when you run your own business, like besides client deliverables, like there's not that many hard and fast deadlines. And so just being, you know, being okay with taking a break or putting something until tomorrow. And then when I track my time, it do, I do still keep track of like, hey, I'm spending more than half of my time on the sort of non-billable work. You know, I kind of strive for that 50-50 ratio or, and in the rare occasions where it goes up where the billable part goes above 50, that's kind of my benchmark. And if I realize that I'm creeping up on the non-billable time, I'm like, okay, maybe I just, you know, maybe this will, maybe this is just going to take a longer sort of span of time than I had anticipated. And that's mm. okay. Mm. I wonder if you would walk me through how to get started with time tracking. What are the considerations I should bear in mind? Where do I start? What apps are good to use? Yeah, absolutely. So (laughs) I guess your viewers can't see, the listeners can't see this, but I have this little gadget thing. It's an eight-sided, it's about the size of the palm of my hand, and it's from a company called Timeular, and it's Basically, I flip, I have designated each of the eight sides as a different activity or sort of group of activities. I have marketing, I have sales, I have business development, I have the service that I provide. I have all these different categories. And I basically, I just flip the dice to that category when I'm working on that activity. Um, And then within the app, within the app on my computer, I can add tags for, you know, this client, this project, I've gotten really, really granular <laughs> where I'm like, okay, I've got this client and this project. And then I'm working on this stage of the project because uh-huh. as I take on these sort of larger, more complicated course projects, it's very useful for me to know, okay, I spent whatever, eight hours writing the workbook. I spent eight hours producing the video. I spent eight hours, you know, it's, it's very useful for me to know what all those different segments are, because then if I go to bid another project and it's like, okay, this one has a workbook, but not a video, then I have those two pieces separated. Yeah. And I can, versus just having like a lump number, like, okay, I spent 45 hours on this project. Like, okay. Yeah. How, how much of that was what? And so that that data is much more useful. You kind of have to settle into your own sort of tracking system, but I recommend tracking six major categories of your time. So marketing, which is time you spend getting new work, getting new clients, getting new customers, um or getting, you know, getting your getting your name out there, I guess is maybe a better way to describe marketing sales which is, you know, sales calls, meetings, writing the proposal, I tend to put under that category, anything you spend locking down a project. 
then there's the actual service, the work that you do. And I, I have different tags for different types of projects, um, which lets me see which projects are the most profitable. Um, doesn't mean I only do those, but it's, it's useful for me to know, like, maybe I want to pursue more of this kind of project because I can get paid really well for this, that sort of thing. That's three categories. Operations, so sort of the behind the scenes, bookkeeping, accounting. I put updating your website on there, just sort of the nuts and bolts of actually running a business. And then business development, which is professional development, education. Some people put networking into business development. Some people put it under marketing, just kind of depends on how you want to think about it. You know, I'm in several professional communities. And so time I spend just having conversations in there, I, I try to track as business development. That's five categories. So I used to, I used to have a separate category for like onboarding and customer service. I now kind of lump that in under just like the general service category. Yeah. It was just easier for me to think about it that way. And of those five categories, only one is the, the only one you get paid for is service, right? All of the marketing and the sales calls and writing the proposal, all of that happens before the client gives you any money at all. And, I, and so ideally, you know, the onboarding stuff I don't do until after the client has paid that first invoice. And so that gets lumped in under the service. But, you know, you're not getting paid to, at least in the client's mind, at least. They're not paying you to update your website. They're not paying you to pay post on social. They're paying you to do a certain thing for them. And, but that time has to pay for all those other things. <laughs> yep. You know, people think, oh yeah, I build, I build $2,000 this month. Great. How many hours did you work? Well, I spent 80 hours working. It's like, okay, that's, <laughs> that's less, that's less money than I thought I was making. That's before taxes too, even. <laughs> mm, yeah. And some of this is just growing pains. It's, I feel like as we grow a new business, there are just certain stages we're going to go through. I think it's one thing if you've had a full-time position with a specific, specific skill set and you transition to maybe consulting for yourself within that skill set and you, you know, have a built-in marketplace due to the job that you used to have. Like I do know people who make that transition from employment to self-employment that is relatively seamless. But if you're really starting something from scratch, some of these things you just have to go through. It's just a fact. But the theme that ties everything together is that awareness always pays off. Like yes. paying attention and tracking things and reviewing things is just never a bad idea. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I wonder if there's anything else that you'd like to drop in the conversation about time tracking or pricing that I haven't thought to ask yet. I think, yeah, it, it's it's like we said, knowing your numbers is is really empowering. And I think people get I think people get confused and intimidated by the process of doing that. You know, what tools do I use? How do I how do I use this spreadsheet? But if and that's and I think that's something that is worth investing in either either time or money or both. That's worth investing in a bit of education. And, but once you learn how to do it, like, I don't, you know, it's, it's, then it just becomes a habit and a system that you have in place and you can, it's, you can, it provides a way for you to kind of check in on your business on a regular basis. Like I do my monthly reports and 
I can see like, what do I need to change for next month or for the next quarter, um, rather than just kind of doing the same thing that I've been doing. And then at the end of the year, like, oh, I wish I had made more money. Like, yeah. you know, taking a regular pulse on your business and seeing, you know, where is my time going? Where is my money going? Am I earning as much as I want to be? And making those, making smaller adjustments, you know, as you go rather than, okay, I've now gone through a whole year and I didn't get the results I wanted. Let me burn down my business and start something over. Like just kind of having that like incremental Mm. improvements, like those smaller things are much easier to implement. And they're also much easier to adjust. Like if you go the whole year and then you like try to, and then you decide to have a whole massive pivot in your business that it takes a long time to like kind of turn that ship. But if you just have like a little thing that you're tweaking, everything's an experiment, right? You, you tweak one thing, you see what happens. Okay. And then that, you know, that didn't do what I wanted it to do. Okay. Let me try some, let me try another tweak rather than, and this is something I have a tendency to do sometimes, you know, rather than like, okay, I'm going to go all in and like totally have this 180 degree turn. And how many 180 degree turns have I made in the last four years of my business? Probably more than is ideal. (laughs) Um, So just having that kind of like incremental adjustment, I think has been one of the things that time tracking has given me is like, I check in regularly, I can make these smaller adjustments rather than kind of giving myself whiplash, trying to, trying to completely turn around every, every six months. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if we can nerd out briefly about software. I'm curious what you use to handle your finances, if you use any kind of project management software, and are you using Timeula to track your time? Yeah, I use Timeula to track my time. um, And the they have a free version of the app and that's what i used really for the first 6 to 9 months of tracking my time and you can also use the app without buying the gadget but i i got both i like having the physical gadget because i've tried apps before and i've even installed like the little chrome extension to have a little button there and i just ignore it because i see it there every day but I have this physical thing in front of me. It's the size of my hand. Like I can't ignore it because it's sitting right there. And, it, you know, it can, you can install it on your phone and on your computer and everything and all that. So, so just, yeah. Just, I'm interrupting to clarify. So when I saw the object that you showed me on screen, I thought it was, I guess, a metaphor for lack of a better word, but it's, it's a piece of tech. Am I understanding that correctly? So when you change the side, Mm -hmm. it's going to change the time it's tracking for you. Yes. Okay. I totally missed that. (laughs) That is, I, I love hearing, like, I know I shouldn't be surprised by these tech things because it's amazing and awesome. What is being created the other day, like in my ignorance, I found out that my aunt has hearing aids that are connected to her phone or can connect to her phone so that she literally gets the sound from her phone piped directly into her ear via Bluetooth so that she can really hear people on the phone. And I was just like flabbergasted and I'm sure millions of people have that tech in their life. So I'm feeling that way right now about Timula and your eight-sided dice. Yeah, it's it's a Bluetooth connection. And so when I, you know, I can I can do it right now, like I can turn it and it will shift from marketing to sales or service or something like that. And what I have done in the app, then I'll go in because it, because it just tracks like a a major category. And I have, again, have gotten very granular with it. So I'll go back in, especially when I like stop tracking a particular activity, 
I'll go in right away and add like, okay, I was working on this client and this project or what, you know, whatever the case may be. So I use Timular for time tracking. I use Dubsado uh, kind of as a client management software. I use it to send my invoices, my contracts, my proposals, any intake questionnaires. Actually, Dubsado has a time tracker built in. And so if you do hourly work and you track your time in Dubsado, it will put it directly into an invoice for that particular project or client. I don't bill hourly, so I don't really use that functionality. They also have a scheduler similar to Calendly. I haven't migrated over. That's a newer feature in Dubsado, so I haven't migrated over to that yet. And that's that's kind of cool because then I can... I can have a thing to book an appointment and it will generate an invoice directly in Dubsado. And all I do most of my bookkeeping through Dubsado itself because I run all of my invoices through there anyway. And yeah, my books are relatively simple. So that works for me. For my monthly reports, it's just a spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm working on I'm working on creating a spreadsheet that automates a little bit more of it, but right now it's just it's I just manually input. Mm-hmm. I manually input things different, how much time I spent doing this type of work and then associating it with how much I billed for that this month. And then I get an hourly rate for that Hmm. web design or an hourly rate for course creation or whatever type of project is there. Hmm. Let's see, what other tools do I love? Yeah, I do use ConvertKit for my email marketing doing a lot of like my sort of more automated funnels and newsletter through there. I'm probably only using like 20% of its capacity of its like functionality because I don't, I don't know that I use all of the more advanced stuff. Yeah. That's, Mm. that's my major, those are my major players. I, I use Trello to communicate with my team member and sometimes, sometimes with clients, but honestly, a lot of my project management just comes down to a paper planner that I have on my desk. Yeah. I'm trying to do a better job of like downloading things from, so it's not just sitting in my brain all the time. Um, One, because that's tiring. And two, as I start to bring in subcontractors and people to help with projects, I want to be able to just be like, here is what's going on with everything versus like me having to explain it every single time because it only lives inside my brain. But yeah, that's a, that's a work in progress for sure. Yeah, it's important just to like pay attention. Is this tool really helping me? Mm -hmm. And I think often that tips from a no to a yes when we need to interact with other people in some way or form, whether that be with a client or whether that, you know, whether that be with subcontractors or whatever. Yeah. Thanks. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. So before we wrap up, tell us what's coming up for your business. Are there any big projects or offerings that you have coming up? Yes. So I am running a time tracking challenge and I'm actually going to give away one of these little timular dice things oh my um, goodness. Because, because I believe in it so much. It's a free challenge, but you can win an actual prize from it. So awesome. the challenge will just be very simple to track your time for five days. You can use a very simple, I, I've got a, like a little training video to set up a very simple tracking scheme. Again, I think Everybody will probably need to kind of settle into their own system, you know, depending on what kind of work they do, depending on their workflow. But I have a training to set up a very simple tracking scheme. You just track those those major categories that I talked about earlier. And yeah, you just track for five days and there's a there's like a little form to fill out. I don't I never ask to see anybody's time logs because 
boundaries. Um, but I, you know, I just have like a little question to answer every day. Like, you know, what did you learn? What surprised you? And anybody who finishes will be entered to win a time Miller tracker because I like prizes. <laughs> well, prize or no prize, I am definitely signing up for that. And we'll, we'll be sure and drop the link in the show notes if everyone, anyone else wants to join me because yeah, I just know this is something that I need to do. And because I'm someone who is blessed to have a lot of time, I fulfill the part of Parkinson's law with ample illustration that if I have loads of time to do something, that's how long it'll take. And often I do have loads of time to do things. And to someone who is a busy person or a parent, that might sound like a real envy promoting statement, but it's just a fact of my life. And I have been I guess learning to create structure for myself is one of the things I'm doing. And I feel like time tracking is going to be super helpful around that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been, it has, it has truly revolutionized my business and just again, given me actual data to make decisions from instead of just whatever I'm feeling at the time. Definitely. And that is, that gives us more confidence. I think the thing, when I think about, looking at one's numbers and reviewing one's numbers. And then if I add the layer of time tracking on the big sticking point that I come up to, and that I know comes up for a lot of people when they are resisting looking at their business finances, or even preparing the numbers for themselves to begin with, is they're frightened of how they're going to feel when they look at the results of that review. And they're frightened of the things that they're going to say inside their head to themselves that are really, really mean. And the fear of what they're going to say to themselves prevents them from doing that review to begin with. And so I think it's, for me, it's so important to be aware of that and to help myself move in the direction of just accepting whatever's been happening and reminding myself that whatever I have done is enough. It's the best I could do at the time with the resources that I had, with the knowledge and the experience that I had. So I'm just going to move ahead and bring in these new skills. But I really won a previous guest that came on the podcast, Katie Craig. She talked about how when she was first in her, I think it was a web design business that she started. It was something design related. I think it was web. Um, and she talked about feeling like when she looked at her numbers, she was just naked in front of a mirror. And so I think we need to like imagine ourselves naked and just say really, really wonderful things to ourselves when we, (laughs) when we are at that point, like that's all the work there is to do is to notice the unpleasant, unhelpful, nasty things we're saying to ourselves, dissolve that and then reframe it for ourselves. Um, And with that in mind, it's super exciting to offer these different ways that people can just know what they're up to and how they can improve it for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why when I structured the time tracking challenge, you know, I don't ask what you spent your time on. I don't, you know, I'm not going to reward, oh, who has the, who tracks the most hours or who tracks the least hours. Like, that's not the point. The point is just to do the practice and to, and to sit with the, and to get the data and sit with the numbers and be comfortable with it. And I, I try, I'm trying very hard now to not use language like wasting time or killing time especially especially in light of the last year like if yes you, if you want to if scrolling on instagram makes you happy do it we need more things that make you yeah. happy and like i and so I, i'm trying to adopt a very non-judgmental stance and that's and that's you know the purpose of the time tracking challenge is to empower. It is not to shame anybody for how they spend their time. It's to give you data 
to make decisions. And that data in and of itself is value neutral. It's what you do with it. Yeah. That, it's what you do with it that matters. And and for me, you know, I use I use money and I use time to live out my values. I there are organizations that I want to support with my skills and I I have my time logs and I say, okay, great. Now I know that I can give two hours a week or I can give this kind of price break for a nonprofit client and I will still be okay. I will still be able to meet the goals that I set for myself. I'll still be able to take care of my other clients in the way that I want to take care of them. Mm -hmm. You know, my therapist always says this, like, it's just data. It's just information to be used. What you do with it is what gives it value and gives it meaning. Yeah, absolutely. Let's wrap it up with my final question. What is your favorite fruit? Oh man, I love fruit. I eat a lot of it. (laughs) It depends on the season because Mm. fruit is so seasonal. In the spring, I love strawberries. Summer is probably watermelon and fall and winter apples. I have three. I'm very bad at picking favorites. It's all good. I'm, I mean, I'm here for multiple favorites. Especially with fruit because it is so seasonal. Like a watermelon, in the, a watermelon in the winter is not... It's a very it's disappointing not, experience. Very, very disappointing. Although when I was a child, when I was... This is a story my family likes to tell. When I was really little, I asked for watermelon in the winter and it was very hard to find, especially, you know, 20, 25 years ago when it wasn't like... The, the global shipping thing was not as much of a thing back then. So it was harder. It was very hard to get watermelon in the winter. But anyway, nice tangent. <laughs> oh, hey, I mean, this final question is all about the tangents. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much. Please. What is the best place that folks can find you online? My website is chiefexecutiveanti.com. That's A-U-N-T-I-E. That's got my blog post. It's got my old podcast episodes, all the different downloads and resources for business owners. And then social media wise, I'm probably most active on Instagram. And that is at Chief Executive Auntie. Thank you so much, Jen, for being here. Thank you. This was fun. Special thanks to Michael P. Atkinson for help with producing this episode and for composing its beautiful music. If you enjoyed listening today, I hope you'll return and tell your creative friends and colleagues about it. And also to take a moment to leave a review wherever it is that you listen. Positive reviews make a huge difference in getting the word out about Creatives Do Money. And in the meantime, wishing you all money, business and life success, whatever that means to you.